Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are in the last stretch of the year here with just a few days left before Christmas and then New Year's. And uh, we've got great shows planned for you this week. And next week, we'll have recaps of great shows of the year as I will taking the the week off the last week of the year i always sort of try to take off and recharge so that i can come back in january with uh, new great programming for you Uh, a little later in the show we're going to talk to jen white who's a producer with wbez in chicago native detroiter who is the host of the Making Oprah podcast mini-series, a really close and intimate look at uh, Oprah Winfrey. Uh, Jen White will be here with us talking about uh, that work. Uh, Up front, though, there were protests yesterday at the state capitol as Michigan's electors cast their votes for president. Demonstrators urged electors to vote their conscience, especially if that meant voting for someone other than Donald Trump, who narrowly won Michigan on November 8th. But the electors did what they were required to do under state law and cast all of the 16 electoral votes we have for Donald Trump. You could hear there in the background some of the reaction in the Capitol uh, to folks who, from folks who were really upset with what the electors did. We do this every four years, not just here in Michigan, but in every state of the union where electors gather to formally cast the votes for president. Uh, in case you're not aware, the the election for president in uh, this country is not a direct election. When you go and cast your your uh, vote at the ballot box, box, you're actually electing somebody else who then goes and uh, selects the president. Normally, this happens without much fanfare or attention at all. This year, as it did in 2000, uh, which was the last time the popular vote did not match the electoral outcome, uh, there's a lot of people who were really questioning whether that could uh, happen or should happen or whether it could be different. In other words, what could we think of uh, as a change or an alternation to this electoral college system that might make uh, popular sentiment uh, more respected in the process. I want to spend the first half of the show today talking about the electoral college, uh, what happened yesterday, and in bigger terms, what we think about this system of selecting a president. Is this the right way to do it? Uh, are there better ways that we could think of to do it? Uh, and is there is there an undermining of popular will that is associated with uh, the system that we have now? We talked a few weeks ago <coughs> with Saul Anuzis, former uh, Michigan Republican Party chair, who is part of a movement to alter the way uh, we count uh, electoral votes. Uh, his his solution would not cha- require a change to the Constitution, but would require uh, states to to change the way that uh, they permit electors uh, to cast their votes. Uh, that's an interesting idea. There's other people who say, let's get rid of the Electoral College altogether. Let's just have a popular, popularly elected president, the same as we have popularly elected congresspeople or senators uh, or mayors or governors. I mean, think of all the different elections that we have where your vote is the one uh, that decides. Uh, I also have written a column about the Electoral College since November 8th in the Detroit Free Press. I wrote about the racist roots of the Electoral College, the debate uh, that that uh, led up to 
the creation of the Electoral College, of course, uh, was shrouded in the debate over slavery. The southern states at the Constitutional Convention knew very well that they did not form a majority. Uh, and so the, the, the question of how slaves uh, who were not uh, citizens in, in the sense that they could not vote, how should they be counted for apportionment? And uh, in winning the three-fifths compromise, uh, they enabled themselves to, to have more say in, in a popular election uh, than than they would have uh, ordinarily, and so it, uh, they have more. They had more say then in the electoral college uh, than northern states, and were able to protect slavery as an institution. That's of course history. Uh, it doesn't absolutely inform the way we would think about something like the electoral college now. But I think it's one of those data points that you point to and sort of say, well, this is part of. The discussion as well. I want to spend uh, part of the show today now talking with you, the listeners, about what you think of the Electoral College. Do you agree with what Michigan's electors did yesterday, casting their votes for Donald Trump? Should we maybe change the way we divvy up our Electoral College votes here in Michigan? There have been proposals in the past floated in the legislature to have our votes cast according to our congressional districts, which, of course, would also favor Republicans almost all in all elections in in Michigan uh, because we have such a lopsided congressional uh, delegation here. Uh, or are there just more sweeping changes we need to think about uh, as in, in terms of the way we elect our presidents in this country? Is the Electoral College an anachronism that we ought to just get rid of? Here to help me sort through this and uh, chat with you about it is Rick Pluta, who is the State Capitol Bureau Chief of the Michigan Public Radio Network. Rick, welcome to Hi, the Hi, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. Uh, so yesterday, uh, of course, was a really interesting day in Lansing. I first want to give you a chance to talk about what that looked and sounded like. Uh, as I said in the open, normally this is a pretty perfunctory exercise. and It happens. Most people don't pay attention. Yesterday, it was oh, a little different. I, I, I have been going to and covering um, electoral colleges since 1988, and um more often than not, they're so quiet that people outside the Michigan Senate chamber, where it's always held, don't even know that it's going on. School groups will come by and not realize that there's this trapping of democracy that's playing out right in, uh, you know, right in front of them. But yeah, yesterday was very, very different. That uh, there were hundreds of people crowded into the Capitol. You could hear them shouting and chanting while the event was going on, that they uh, weren't allowed into the uh, viewing gallery, because even though it is a, quote-unquote, public event, that the organizers, the state Republican Party, made it a ticket-holders-only event, that you had to claim a, a, a place in advance, which sort of kept things, you know, kept that bedlam from spilling out into the uh, visitors' gallery. And no, this was uh, this was a very, very unique um electoral college vote at the state capitol yesterday. Yeah. Uh, this idea that Michigan's electors might, or some of them might say, well, you know, I know that the state went for Donald Trump, but it went narrowly by 10,000 or 11,000 votes. 
lots of people wanted another candidate. Uh, maybe I maybe I cast my vote for somebody else. Maybe it's Hillary Clinton. Maybe it's Paul Ryan, who's the Speaker of the House. Uh, maybe it's somebody other than Donald Trump, ba- based on. Uh, the support uh, that he or the popular support that uh, other people had or for just another candidate. Talk about why that didn't happen or whether that was even possible yesterday. Well, there, there, well, there was never really a chance. We'll talk about the practical and then the legal. Uh, there was never really a chance that any of these electors were going to cast a vote for Hillary Clinton or any other Democrat, that they were selected. They're Republican electors, at- right. Yeah, it, it is a Republican slate of electors that was submitted basically, you know, ostensibly by the Trump campaign, but really by the state Republican Party as the people who are going to show up and, and, and cast votes as electors. And they're party activists, party stalwarts, that there was just no way that they were going to show up and vote for a Hillary Clinton, a Bernie Sanders, an Elizabeth Warren, you know, whomever, that if there was going to be a a, a, a defection, and this is a highly metaphysical construct here, but if there was going to be a defection, it would be for another Republican because an elector just found themselves in a position where they, they felt that they couldn't cast a vote for the, the nominee, in this case, Donald Trump. Right. Now, Michigan, this is getting into the legal, like 28 other states, does have what's called a faithless elector law. It says that you are the, the, the elector for that nominee, and if you show up, then you have to vote for your party's nominee, or that is automatically taken as a resignation, and you will be replaced by someone who will vote for the nominee. And so there is no, there is no possibility then, legally, to cast an electoral vote in Michigan for someone other than the person who won the popular vote in the state. Well, it, it, it is a, a violation of a, a state law that says that you will be removed and replaced. Although, and this is what came up, this was brought up by, you know, the, the Hamilton electors and others, and in other states they have tried to challenge these faithless elector laws. But they say that, that this may be unconstitutional. Now, since no one has, no court has ruled it unconstitutional, it is still constitutional. But sure. they say this could be susceptible to a challenge because the way that the Electoral College was set up was that it wasn't supposed to be slates that of, of electors that are selected by one party or the other, or even one candidate or the other. It was supposed to be wise minds in the state that would show up and make a decision about who they think the president ought to be. And the idea uh, among the founders was that, you know, we didn't have the communications infrastructure that we have today. And so there might be strong regional candidates that the public at large won't know about and wouldn't really be in a position to judge. But hopefully, you know, engaged um, civic leaders would be in a position to judge. That's who electors were originally supposed to be under the originalist of, um, you know, mechanism as it was as it was set up. It's it's just evolved into something very different over time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Rick Pluta. He's the State Capitol Bureau Chief at the Michigan Public Radio Network. Uh, we're talking about yesterday's vote of the Electoral College. The electors here in Michigan uh, gathering in Lansing to cast their formal votes for President of the United States. Uh, all 16 of those electoral votes went for Donald Trump, which is the normal process here in the state of Michigan. Donald Trump won the popular vote vote by about 10 or 11,000 votes. That means he gets all 16 of the electoral college votes from this state. Of course, because the election was so close, lots of people are now asking questions about whether the electoral college is fashioned in the right way. Does it respect enough of popular will? Uh, are there other ways that we might think about selecting a president here in the United States? The, the Electoral College has been with us since the beginning uh, of this country, uh, and maybe 200 and some years later, we ought to come up with a different system for selecting the president. What do you think about that? Uh, do you think that what Michigan's electors did yesterday makes sense, uh, casting all their ballots? For one candidate, that's happened uh, throughout history uh, here in the state. Uh, or should we change the way we divvy up our electoral college votes? Or should we rethink the electoral college altogether and come up with something else? 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to the Facebook page of WDET and put your comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, we'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Rob in Auburn Hills. Rob, welcome to Detroit hey, Today. Hey, Stephen. Hey. How's it going? Good. How are you? Excellent. Um, I called because I wanted to say that I think, especially to you know, in today's times, the Electoral College is really um, the best way to choose a president. Um, and one of those reasons, especially with the faithless elector laws, is as you saw yesterday, more electors defected from Hillary Clinton than from Donald Trump across the nation. So, you know, I feel that not necessarily anyone, you know, on this program, but some people are looking at the Electoral College, getting rid of it as a way to sort of correct what they see as an injustice that happened um, in this election. But, you know, as we saw, it sort of goes two ways. Um, you know, they, they're unforeseen consequences, so to speak. If you're only goal is to keep Trump out, then messing with the Electoral College may cause problems you don't see down the road. But the other thing I wanted to mention is that um, if you took out, I believe, only Los Angeles or only New York City, you know, cities that really have sort of a homogenous sort of uh, political ideology, Donald Trump would have won the popular vote in the United States. I forget which particular city it was, but that's sort of the point, I think, of the Electoral College is to prevent, you know, a single area, a single homogeneously aligned political area from sort of ruling the rest of the country. You know, things are different in Michigan than they are in California. So California shouldn't get to decide for the whole country right. uh, who's going to be the president and set the tone that way. Yeah, I'm, I, 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 there's no question that that was also part of the original thinking behind the Electoral College, right? To, to balance mm -hmm. uh, very disparate kinds of interests, rural versus urban, uh, rich versus poor, as I pointed out in the column that I wrote after, um, uh, after the election, uh, slaveholding states versus non-slaveholding states. I mean, there were a lot of 
competing interests that that the founders figured out the, that the the electoral college would help balance. In other words, uh, in, in their minds, prevent uh, a sort of tyrannical minority or majority from sort of roughshodding over over other people. And I think Rob, you you absolutely nailed the the, the sort of explanation behind that that sentiment. I think the question is. Uh, in modern times, in a modern era, does that still fit? Is is that still does it still perform the same function? Does it or or does it make it possible for a minority? In this case, it did right. It's made it possible for a minority to take control uh, uh, without without having won uh, the majority of the votes. Rick Plude, I, I, I think I think of, there are two things that that need to be said as far as Rob's points. The first one about uh, Hillary Clinton losing delegates, which is true, uh-huh. but that 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 deserves some context. With just one exception, I think maybe maybe two. The Clinton delegates who quote unquote defected weren't defecting because they didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. That they were hoping to basically they 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 were offering up a a, a deal, throwing that idea out into the universe that if we don't vote for our nominee in the states that Clinton won, maybe Republicans in states that Trump won would agree to you know cross over and and vote for someone else. So right. it, it wasn't. A, a rejection of, of Hillary Clinton per se as a, a a group of electors on the Democratic side who were trying to sort of openly make a deal with um, with Republicans. Now, on, on the part of uh, uh, of influence, that there have been studies done of this, and um, you know what they've found is that the Electoral College does, in fact, you know. Th- partially because of the practical way that elections work out in this country when you start checking off states that California and New York will go Democratic, uh, uh, Texas and Utah will go Republican, and then everything sort of boils down to what happens in the battleground and the near battleground states. Yeah. And that's actually, that's the, if, if, if there is a, a bias, it really is in favor of battleground states and that's not all bad for states like Michigan and Wisconsin. Well, Michigan more than more than Wisconsin, sure. but, but in this election, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, there is uh, there are lots of there are lots of different sort of wrinkles here, and and I, you know one of the things that I think is really obvious right now about right now is we've had two elections now in sixteen years. Uh, where the popular vote and the electoral vote don't match, which is the closest, I think, uh, in proximity to that event happening uh, in in history. And I think there are a lot of reasons that that's true. There are a lot of things going on in terms of demographic change, in terms of uh, hyper-partisanship. This is sort of an era of of both of those things. And I think together they make it more possible that that could happen. And, you know, that's one of the things that makes people – start to think, well, maybe there is a different way to do this. Uh, maybe there is a different way to sort of respect uh, uh, these differences uh, without handing uh, power over to a minority president, which is what we what we did in 2000 and uh, what we're doing here in 2016. Rob, again, thanks very much for the call and for making those points. Let's go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to Detroit Today. Ed, are you there? Today. Hey. Um, 
One quick point, and then I'll get to my main point. Okay. When the Constitution was ratified, 90-plus percent of the people in this country lived in rural places. Yes. Cities were insignificant, really. Today, the greater majority of the country lives in urban places. The, the modern electoral college actually gives rural places a slightly better hit than urban places because of the two senate two senators per state rule. Uh, so, so the it's, it's people who live in cities who, who really have a beef about the modern electoral college. Yes, yes. But I would say. The Electoral College is an anachronism. It may have been a useful method of choosing a president in the 18th century when the founders didn't anticipate the creation of political parties uh, and a minority of the people who lived in the country had a right to vote because of either women not having the vote, blacks not having the vote, and most white men not having the vote because they didn't own enough property. Because they didn't own property, (laughs) right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know... it was it was an it was a system created by elitists for the benefit of elitists. Yeah. I would go to the Australian method. In the Australian uh, Parliament, the, the members of the House of Representatives are chosen by a ballot where the voters get to rank order their candidates: first choice, second choice, third choice, uh-huh. so forth. Uh-huh. And then you count up the votes that each person gets. If on the first round. Um, uh, the requisite majority votes for the first choice, that person wins. But sometimes you have to go to third and fourth choice even to get a sufficient number and a broad enough sweep of voters to choose a winner. And since at the federal level we're only voting for president, vice president, senators, and representatives, it's a system that is manageable, it would obviously require amending the Constitution to get rid of the Electoral College, which frankly, I think, uh, demonstrates that it, that my proposal will probably never be adopted. Right, right. Uh, Ed, that's I, would, a... I would encourage you to have someone on the program to discuss how the Australian... How that uh, works, yeah. I mean, works uh, and how it might work in the United States. And there, there, there have been similar kinds of proposals made, actually, uh, in this country about in terms of ranked voting, for instance, or, or, or uh, what's what's called clustered uh, voting. If you remember uh, uh, Lonnie Guineer, who was President Clinton's uh, choice to head the Civil Rights Division uh, of the Justice Department. In fact, one of the things that disqualified her from that job that people lost their minds over was this idea of uh, of giving people more than one vote to cast for for candidates, in other words, to to, to be able to bundle your votes uh, for one candidate or to spread them out among among others, uh, and and you know, people in this country seem to to have a, a an automatic aversion to, to to ideas like that. But but as Ed points out, other countries are are, are doing it and and finding that it that it works just fine. Well, and, and just, you know, when, when you look at statistics, one of the arguments that's brought up against the um, Electoral College and one that could be um, used in um, um, a, a court challenge would be violation of one person, one vote, because the electors are every member of Congress plus two senators, which every state gets, regardless of its population, right. which means that, that, that you create um, um, these 
statistical mishmashes where if you divide the you know the population by the number of electoral votes that some electoral votes are just plain more valuable than others yeah yeah uh let's go to steve in royal oak steve welcome to detroit today thank you yeah go ahead. um what about going to a parliamentary system like uh, so many other democracies have uh which give us uh, more than two choices uh, and the opportunity for uh, any uh, reasonable supported uh, party to have some uh, voice in a post-election. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that's an interesting idea, too, Steve. Um, the, you know, I, my, my sense is that uh, that has less to do with uh, the, the, the Constitution itself than it does with things like the rules of the Senate, right? Uh, the, the way the Senate is structured, the way things get done there really is set up uh, for two parties. I mean, if there was a third party, it would almost always uh, be be sort of locked out of uh, of, of the process, and and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you change that. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure there's much will to change that. But mm-hmm. of course, you know, I mean, parliamentary systems work in in much of Europe and 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 other yeah. parts. And, and Stephen, I, I think it's broader than that. It's I, I think it's not just the rules of the institutions, but the culture of this country. Right. That we just seem to the vast majority of us seem to sort out into one of the two political parties. Now, third parties will argue that they don't get uh, uh, enough media attention, for example, to in order to build their ideas. But usually when a third party or an independent movement presents something that captures the public's imagination, one or both of the major parties uh, wind up adopting it. And, you know, if, if you doubt that, just, you know, look at the history of, of the country that even where a major political party has folded, a new second primary party has quickly emerged to take its place. That just the United States of America seems culturally inclined toward a primarily two-party system. Right, right. Uh, okay, uh, before I let you go, Rick, uh, I want to uh, break some news with you here on the program. We're learning uh, that Bill Schuette, the Attorney General of Michigan, is prepared to charge uh, some more people in the Flint water crisis. Uh, ex-emergency managers Darnell Early and Gerald Ambrose uh, are among four people who he is charging. The, the other two are, are city officials. Apparently he is charging them for knowingly going ahead with uh, with the switch of, of the water system in Flint, uh, even though it was not ready, the water treatment plant was not ready to treat that water. These are the highest ranking people we've seen so far uh, be charged in this uh, in this ongoing investigation. Uh, um, it is, and you know we've wondered uh, how high this will go, and also you know what success ultimately Bill Schuette will have using this. Um, common law mechanism of uh, malfeasance in office in order to uh, try and uh, go after uh, go after some of these officials. Yeah. Uh, does this, in your mind, does this get closer to the governor's office in terms of criminal implication? In other words, that, uh, I mean, these are people directly appointed by the governor. Uh, oh, oh, sure. These are, these are, well, I, I mean, they were appointed by um, the state treasurer, but... Sure. 
you know, yes, this does bring this closer to um, the governor's office. Of course, that's un- undeniable that that the selection of these people, regardless who directly did it, wouldn't have uh, proceeded without, you know, his personal knowledge and approval. And we know that the executive branch was involved in uh, a lot of these decisions. Now, you know, what that means in terms of, you know, any further liability on this uh, remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, this is this is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rick Pluta, uh, Capitol Bureau Chief for the Michigan Public Radio Network. As always, thanks for being with us on Detroit Today. It's always a pleasure, Stephen. Absolutely. All right. uh, Up next, uh, we're going to speak with a WBEZ host in Chicago about 30 years of Oprah Winfrey and the podcast that she is doing, uh, looking closely at uh, the making of Oprah. Stay with us on Detroit Today.